Welcome to the Stetzer Church Leaders Podcast. Conversations with today's top ministry leaders to help you lead better every day. And now, here are your hosts, Ed Stetzer and Daniel Yang. Welcome to the Stetzer Church Leaders Podcast, where we're helping Christian leaders navigate and lead through the cultural issues of our day. My name is Daniel Yang, the director of the Church Multiplication Institute, and today we're talking to Dr. Henry Cloud. Henry is an acclaimed leadership expert, psychologist, and best-selling author who has an extensive executive coaching background and experience as a leadership consultant. Uh, his 45 books include the iconic Boundaries, uh, having sold nearly 20 million copies worldwide. Uh, Henry's latest book is Trust, Knowing When to Give It, When to Withhold It, How to Earn It, and How to Fix It When It Gets Broken. But before we talk to Henry, we want to remind you that if you're enjoying our interviews, uh, take a moment, leave us a review. Now let's go to Ed Stetzer, uh, Editor-in-Chief of Outreach Magazine and the Dean of the Talbot School of Theology. Well, we're super excited to have Henry Cloud on. Do you know that if you take his books, one book, Boundaries, and all of my books together, they've sold over 20 million plus copies. Plus mine. Exactly. <laughs> that plus yours, plus unalienable. Exactly. Over 20 million copies. So we're excited <laughs> to have Henry Cloud I'm on. I'm glad y'all pushed you, it over the edge. We did. We did. It was, we just got it to the other side. Well, and what's interesting is just how much, like we were talking before we started recording, you know, boundaries, but, but also lots of others as well that are really like necessary endings was so helpful mm-hmm. for me. Mm-hmm. I read it when I need to make some necessary endings. So it was, it's good. It's good and important stuff, but the new book is really important in a day when we see a rising sense of mistrust in our world. We see a sense, you know, for our audience, pastors and church leaders, where people are unsure how they trust, do they trust, how, how when should they not trust? So I think we're going to have a really good conversation today around some of these important topics. So let's let's kind of jump in. You actually write at the beginning of the book, uh, trust is the fuel for all of life. Why is trust crucial and why is it impossible to live without it? Let's start there. Well, you know, it's, um, it really, really, really makes it easy to explain when we're talking to pastors and church leaders, because what we're talking about is the basically the created order. You know, God is the only self-sustaining entity or person or life that exists in the universe and beyond. God doesn't need anything from outside of himself in order to have a good day or or to do well. But God's a creator and the rest of us are created beings. And so we derive all of life from outside of ourselves. And starting from, you know, the best picture of hell that I know, Jesus said, that hell will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. You know, any woman's given birth to a baby, as soon as that baby comes out and they turn back, they didn't look at mom and go, mom, was that hard on you? I'm sorry if you, you know, if that was a rough delivery. No, they, they go, and it's weeping and gnashing of teeth because for the first time in nine months, they are separated from life and that's hell because they, whatever life they're going to get, they have to get from outside of themselves. And God has wired every human in the deepest neurological level with mirror neurons and auditory, the tones and the feel to know when it is safe to take something in from the outside. And so David said in the Psalms, God, you taught me to trust you at my mother's breast. And so we're just wired for it. And that's where, you know, no pastor is going to scale a church by him or herself. They got to trust people with their gifts to be able to do that. And when they trust the right ones, then, you know, it could be Jesus had a small team there <laughs> and it's expanded. But when you trust the wrong ones, you know, things can go south. So I just wanted to take the science of trust and the theology of trust and the psychology of how it works 
and create a model that leaders and pastors and everybody, marriages and parents could know, how do I build the trust that I need in people? And how do I know when to trust and when not to? What do I do when it gets broken? So that's kind of what it is. Hmm. I like that, the the theology and psychology behind it. Your second section of the book is the five essentials. And could you briefly go through the five essentials of trust? Yeah, it's sort of like an algorithm. You know, God has wired the human being with a system that 24-7, every moment we are alive, the first question the whole organism is asking all the time is, am I safe? You know, we've all been breathing for the last minute, but we hadn't noticed it because the system has run its algorithm and the air is good to breathe. But if you smell the fume, you would hit pause. And I don't know if I can trust that air. Well, he's wired us that way. Now, a lot of people, when they think of trust, they think of, yeah, I trust him. He, you know, he wouldn't lie to me. And they and they kind of reduce it to only the moral and ethical foundations of trust. But there's a lot more that we have to, you know, there's a lot of people who wouldn't lie to us. But we can't go trust them to run the small group ministry or you can't trust them in the pulpit or you can't, you know, and so there's a lot of factors that go into it. And so what I tried to do was go through all the science and all the leadership literature and all the Bible and all the psychology around trust. And if we could just have a little, just a little model, you could, you could put this on a little post-it note and ask yourself, am I doing these five things with my people, with the community, with the congregation? And as I entrust people with things, can I check off these boxes? So that's kind of what it is, a little bit of a dashboard. So yeah, I like it. And of course, the, the title of the book is Trust, Knowing When to Give It, When to Withhold It, How to Earn It, How to Fix It When It Gets Broken. Could you touch on some of the five so we get a picture of what yeah. some of those things are? Yeah, the, the very first one is that trust comes from understanding. In other words, we trust somebody not when they persuade us, but first of all, do, do they understand me? Do they know what I need out of this relationship? Do they know what hurts me? What makes me win? What I'm afraid of? What makes me happy? And when we deeply understand somebody first, then the whole system, if you feel understood, the whole system begins to open up. I was talking about this um, at a leadership event one time, and a guy walks up to me and says, I'm, I'm the lead hostage negotiator for the FBI. Wow. So the guy's got a bomb strapped to him, you know, 20 hostages in a bank. I'm the guy that goes in and has got to talk him into putting it down and coming out. He said, everything you just talked about is our entire training program. Mm. So because we don't walk in and say, you know, hi, uh, dude, this is a bad idea. You know, you shouldn't do this. This is dumb. You can't convince somebody until you've connected with them. And so we walk in and say, so, hey, I'm Joey. What's your name? They sent me in here to talk to you. And they go, hey, I'm David. And, you know, and then they say, so, David, how did we get here today? Tell me what's going on. And immediately, Ed, I think of the passage, you know, it's almost like the person who wrote the Bible understood the brain, you know, yeah. the, where it says, he who, he who tries to convince somebody, who, he, you know, he who, who gives an answer 
before he listens, before he understands, is a fool. And it is a folly. That's a neurological statement. If we're trying to persuade somebody and they don't feel like we've heard them first and know what they need and who they are, they're not listening. It's a folly to even try to, and leaders are bad about this. You know, we go in and try to persuade people. This is going to be a great, you know, strategy of blah, blah, blah. But if, if you haven't built a trust where they feel like you get them, then you haven't started yet. So the first one's understanding. The second one, somebody can understand us deeply, be empathic and listen. But what's their motive? Why are they doing that? You know, we've all had somebody go, oh, I got the greatest, greatest opportunity for you. And, and But you start to feel like, women, who's this for? And so what's the motive that, you know, we've all been on teams where, you know, I know pastors experience this, where you've got a team vision and there's that one person that every planning, they've got their own agenda that they're trying to push. And so the bubble of trust exists, not only when we understand somebody, because even, you know, that's seduction to understand somebody so you can use them, but we deeply understand and they feel like our motive behind it is not just for themselves, but they want the best for us. And when you got a, you know, in a marriage or a team or when, when the person is, it, you're not with them, but you know, they got your back. And if they're out there talking to somebody about what y'all are doing or about you, you don't have to worry about it. They got, they're going to be, whatever they're doing, they're not going to hurt you. It's going to be for you. You know, the incarnation was the deepest empathy. We don't have a high priest who can't sympathize with our weaknesses, right? And and he was a man of sorrow. So he understands, but the grace of God is unmerited favor that he is for us. And so we know that he did this and he did it for us. That's the next step. And when a church... You know, when a congregation feels like, wow, this church really understands my life. They know what it's like to be in this marriage or having to be in the marketplace. And I feel like that sermon, I feel like they really understand me and they want me to win. They want me to thrive. They want me to know God better. They want me to, they want to equip me. And the Bible says we do this for the equipping of the saints. And when they feel like the church's mission or the leader's mission on the team that they're for them. They, they want the best for them. Then it goes to a deeper level. But there's the third one. You know, I just had a couple of knee replacements uh, and I was picking my surgeon. What if I had, what if I felt like, God, this guy really gets me, he understands my pain and he really wants me to be back on the golf course. And, <laughs> and then, so he says, all right, well, let's go schedule a surgery. And I go, great doc. And then, then what if he had said, and I'm really excited about this because because I'm an OBJ and I've never done a knee before. <laughs> <laughs> well, now we've gotten into the third element, and that is the person's ability to carry off what we're entrusting to them. And a lot of times, a lot of times, guys, and I, I've heard this from pastors so many times, they start a church with somebody a lot of times or people supporting them, and so they're instantly you know, kind of build it. And then the church starts to grow and they, they have this great understanding and great motives, but the, 
they get a role from the beginning when they don't know till a year later, that person really doesn't have the abilities I need for that chair. And they never really thought about the trust as contextual. And that's a big deal. You know, um, I got a, a, a call from a, a company one time to do CEO coaching. The CEO had been there about a year and things were kind of floundering. And I said, well, well, where did he come from? They said, well, he was our COO for a long time and he was awesome. Everybody loved him. He increased supply chains and infrastructure and all this. And so when the CEO retired, we made him the CEO. And I said, well, where did he get the E? They said, what do you mean? I said, it was the COO. He made him the CEO. Where did he get the E? And they said, well, we promoted him. I said, I know, but where did he get the E ability? Did you build mm -hmm. it into it? And you looked at the scenario and the church was being operated, but it wasn't being led. And the guy did not have the ability. So we had to figure out, can he learn these or, you know, is he in the wrong chair? So ability is a big deal. You go back to the character of God. He understands us. His motives are good. And we can trust him because he can pull this off. You know, he actually can do what he says he's going to do. So now I got my doctor says, no, I'm not an OB-GYN. I'm a, 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 you know, Harold did knee replacement surgeon, right? So I go, okay, doc, we're ready. And then what if he had said this? What if he had said, um, so, you know, I'm, this is a teaching hospital. I got a, there's a theater in the operating room and you can actually watch a knee replacement. And we'll do one about a half hour. I want you to come watch me. And first of all, I would never have done that. I don't want to see somebody else. Get right, right. Up. <laughs> I might bail out of this thing, right? But what if I watched that and 10 minutes into the surgery, my my great, great, great abilities and great motives and understanding doctor, all of a sudden you, you hear him scream and goes, he's bleeding. Something quick, the guy's bleeding. I'm all of a sudden thinking, I need somebody with a little cooler head under pressure. <laughs> now we're into the fourth one. You can have abilities and motives and all that, but is the person's character is their makeup and character is much more. If you go to the scriptures, it's much more than just, you know, not lying, cheating, and stealing. A five-year-old knows not to do that, but they're not ready to lead a church or lead a mm -hmm. department. So the next one is what's this person's character or makeup? Interesting story about this from, from Christian leadership. I got called one time by the president of one of the big Christian organizations to come do leadership development with his executive team. So I flew back there and I said, you know, I work a lot with businesses, but I love I love it when I get to work in a Christian setting because I can talk about the spiritual aspects of leadership. And and I thought his hair was going to catch on fire. Hmm. He bristled and he said, listen to me. I didn't call you in here for any spiritual development. My executive, these are godly men. They've been walking with the Lord for 25 years. These are godly men. I don't need spiritual development. I need leadership development. And I said, well, aren't they related? And he said, no, I need lead. I said, what kind of leadership problems are you having? He said, well, I can't get them to work together. You know, they each want to protect their budgets and their resources and their information. We got a, we got a shared vision here and I need them to work together. And I said, uh, these are the godly men. You can't get to work together. He goes, these are godly men. You know, I said, well, my Bible says love doesn't seek its own. And in fact, if you go to 2 Peter 1, it says if you're going to be fruitful, pass, pass, add to your faith, you know, moral excellence, but pass that 
it goes into this list of character or the mm -hmm. makeup of the person, perseverance. Does somebody get, get, do they lose their steam after you run into six months of a problem? Can they persevere? The next one is self-control. Do they have emotional regulation or do they get angry or scared or impulsive or, you know, instead of fire ready aim, they're a ready aim fire, they're fire ready aim, you know, ADD get distracted. Do they have the courage? And so we have to think about contextually, you know, some people you can give them a project and they're great, but what if they're the ones that need the attaboy all the time? And in that project, mm -hmm. there's not going to be any good news for a year. They, they got to love problems for breakfast. Well, their makeup really isn't suited for that position. So we got to look at the makeup of people and how they're glued together. So let's say my surgeon, now we got the first four. He's got great character. He's cool under pressure. So I say, okay, doc, let's go do it. And we walk out to the waiting room I go out in the hall there's a dead body lying in the hallway <laughs> and i go what's that and he said ah, that's the guy i operated on yesterday it, it didn't turn out too well but let, let's go schedule this well the fifth one and the last one is track record what happened the last time and this gets really sticky for christians because because we're called to forgive right and we want to forgive failures and we want to forgive mistakes. We want to have a learning culture where people can make mistakes, but making mistakes and having a problem, that's normal. We solve those. But if somebody it does the same thing over and over, that's not a problem. That's a pattern. And our minds build mental maps. And so we're going to come to each other expecting what we've experienced in the past. So you're going to hire somebody and you better be knowing what their past track record looks like. And so, again, you know, you look at God, every time he calls us to trust him just about in the scripture, what does he say? Remember when you were slaves in Egypt and I brought you out with a mighty hand. Remember this. We're called to go to <clears throat> Hebrews 11 and look at all of these characters that trusted God. And they had all sorts of mixed up abilities themselves. But we see the story of his track record. And sometimes in the darkest moments of our lives or in, in your leadership, boy, does it help to look back and remember. I've been there before and God brought me through. And so whether we're hiring somebody, you know, we got to vet them. And look, all of us, you know, if we were judged by every iota of our past, there's failures and mistakes. But still, the past is the best predictor of the future, always. So what do you do? Somebody fails. Well, that, in a big way, or a pattern, we, well, we look at the past performance. It's not good. I can't trust them. But then something happens, and they go through a year of growth, or they get coaching, or they get therapy, or they get new experiences, and say a year later, say, well, I want to give this physician a smile. I say, well, don't you remember they screwed up in their past? But then you say, I know, but in the past year, look what's been happening. So now we have a new track record. Hmm. But a lot of people forgive, and they just start again tomorrow because the person says, I'm sorry. Right. Well, forgiveness is something that's based on the past. You know, God forgives what we did and actually extends it to the future. But trust, forgiveness is about the past. Trust is about the future. Mm. And that's built on a track record. When Jesus said, 
you know, he gave him these talents. He comes back and he examines their past performance. And he says, well, this one took five and turned them into 10. And this took, you know, multiplied it. But this one, he didn't, he didn't perform. And I'm going to take that away from him. I'm not going to entrust him with another year of this. So there's your five. And yeah. I've just found it really, really helpful to have a little map. Yeah, and you can get more about these five in the book. It's trust, knowing when to give it, when to withhold it, how to earn it, and how to fix it when it gets broken. The longest subtitle in the history of publishing, <laughs> but that's another story for another day. But the but the key, I mean, the key theme is around trust. You know, and I'm thinking a lot about this because I'm I'm starting this new job. You know, I'm, I'm I'm moving to California, starting this new job, and one of the things, you know, I've got 71 faculty administrators at the Talbot School there at Biola, and I and I told which I, my which by, by by the yeah. way I. I owe great debt to, um, you know, I, I got my doctorate in bio and clinical psychology, but as part of that, you have the equivalent of a master's at 30 something graduate hours of theology. And it was all through Talbot and it was just such a rich experience. Love it. Love it. We're going to take that and put it on a flyer somewhere, I think. Um, but, but part of what I'm doing is I'm starting with people who don't know me. It's they they haven't hired deans from the outside historically at Talbot. But one of the things I said to our leadership team recently was, um, you know, I'm going to begin with the assumption of trust. I, I, you know, we, people say, you know, and even your subtitle, you talk about earning it. I do think it's a place to earn it. But in this case, as a new person in a new relationships, I have to extend it and then see ultimately where it goes from that as well. So what advice would you give to pastors and church leaders, you know, keep going those five things to remind everyone, understanding, motive, ability, character, and track record. So, how do we, because we sort of have to make the assumption of trust and when do we withdraw the trust? Help us think about that because that's right in the center of my mind. You're maybe giving me maybe professional counseling and coaching right here. Well, you know, a lot of times we do inherit, you know, people that are already in place, you know, exactly like you, you've talked about. And it, let's flip it for a second because you're going to be making that move, but it's bi-directional. So they're going to be looking at you as well. That's right. why new leaders and CEOs, you know, you, you hear the phrase listening to them. And one of the great things they can do in that first 90 days is sit down with everybody and say, so, so tell me, tell me about you and what you do here and how you understand the vision, what's your experience like, and what do you see that we, we could do more of what are we what are we doing that's working well and and when they start to feel like you understand them from the beginning that's again first leadership step is a good thing to do but on the flip side like you're saying remember you you want to you want to extend trust but what you're extending also is is you're extending a relationship together to move forward and so what you have to really watch for is, first of all, you really got to look at the track record because maybe the leader before somebody um, had put this person in this position, and but you start to really look at what's happening. It, it hadn't gone well, but obviously you're going to trust them. You're going to have those conversations. But remember the biblical pattern that it's incremental. So as you're learning your team, Maybe you don't send a new person that you've never worked with off to take out, you know, to lead a continent <laughs> or something. But but we we do, it's a learning process to trust them, but also 
to watch them in these categories before more is given, as Jesus said. And so they've got a feel from you that, and even in your communication, gosh, I've looked at what you've done here when you've led this department. And, you know, I'm really looking forward to learning more from you about it and, and, and helping you understand what I need is, I guess, is the new vision. And so you're kind of entering into their track record, but you're also kind of, you know, Jim Collins said, I think in good to great, he said, shoot bullets, not cannonballs. I mean, don't bet the farm on somebody immediately, but give them bullets and just watch. And then you learn something else about the character because you, as you enter in and start to give feedback or are they a wise person, like Proverbs says, that loves correction, correct a wise person, they'll love you for it, correct a wise person, they'll they'll become wiser, but correct a mocker or a fool, and you're going to get pushback. And mm -hmm. so in the early days, you know, you're going to get what the Proverbs, book of Proverbs goes through character disorders. They, they minimize, they shoot the messenger, you correct a fool, they'll hate you for it. Do not correct a mocker, lest you incur insults upon yourself. And you get all these scriptures about what you're going to see incrementally when you do begin to trust, as you said, and go through the process, you're also learning. So, so you want to extend and say, look, I, what I'd love leaders to say is tell everyone, look, a leader not, never got any, anywhere by himself or herself. I really am going to empower you guys. Mm -hmm. I'm really going to empower you guys and trust you because you know what you're doing in your, in your, share better than I do and I can't be there anyway I'm really I want us to have that and then I would talk about it I'd say and here's kind of how it works with me I want to really understand you and what you need from me and your chair and your position and I want to empower you and give that to you and I want you to win there's the four and here's some abilities that I need to see you come through on this is what i'm going to need from that position and you start to talk about that and then you have mutual expectations and then say you know what we're going to um kind of have a lot of conversations about how how that's going and 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 i want it i want us to be giving each other good feedback along the way and so you're you're actually painting this five factor roadway ahead of time when you start to trust them to let them know this is what i'm looking for and then we're on the same page. Yeah. And I think in my case, you know, when you're the new person, you extend it, but at the same time, I've got to earn it from them. So there's this kind of strange journey, but it, but mm. not an unenjoyable one. Yeah. Yeah. I, I like to get to uh, maybe the other side of it, which is a pain point for a lot of leaders. And what do you do when yeah. you experience betrayal? Um, and I, you know, there, there's hurt and pain that comes with betrayal. And then there, there are times when you become steeped in it and it becomes a narrative. And so it's hard to trust new people. And so, um, yeah. when you experience betrayal, like how do you triage yourself out of it? And then how do you prevent yourself from projecting that onto new people so that you can learn to trust it's again? Good. It's a really, really, really important question because I mean, people fail, you know, people screw up and, and we want to still have a future. One of my favorite passages is when Jesus says to Peter, you will fail big time in three big ways and so quickly seeing before the cock crows three times right or in the morning and peter's like no i mean you know i never but then jesus says this he says but after you have returned 
you will become the source of strength for many. Hmm. Interesting that the impulse disorder, Peter, I mean, he was so impulsive. He's the one that ends up writing out letters on character hmm. in First and Second Peter. And it's just, it. so, so we've got to adjust, you know, uh, back, back to your point, Daniel, about, you know, once you've been burned, that we also have this, this long view of somebody's life. You know, it's like a Netflix movie. Well, here's a box when you hit pause. Here's a, that's a scene. <laughs> but this is going to be a long movie. And I think they need to feel that commitment. But Jesus also said, after you have returned. So a lot of times when we're betrayed, we have that mental map, just as you pointed out. That, you know, the burned dog dreads the fire, right? Well, I've been betrayed. And a lot of times what leaders don't recognize is their trust muscle is broken, maybe because of their growing up years. Mm. And they've depended on, I had a guy on an airplane, I was working on this this research. And he said, what are you doing? I said, I'm researching trust. He goes, I don't trust anybody. Wow. I said, really? He goes, absolutely. I learned a long time ago, you can't trust people. You, you just can't trust them. He said, I only trust myself. I go, I'm, you know, I'm a psychologist, and I'm going to tell you, you're crazy. <laughs> and he said, well, what do you mean? I said, dude, look out the window. You're at 35,000 feet. Don't tell me you don't trust anybody. I mean, you trust mm. a couple of pilots to get you here that you don't even know. And so when we, we realize how important this is, but sometimes people are like that man where they've been burned, and they turn into controlling leaders. They can't mm. delegate. They micromanage. They're afraid to start something new and hand it off to somebody. It's the only way you're going to scale any ministry. And they don't recognize their leadership coaching step has got to be. I need to. I need to start to get it, to get objective about trust and not subjective because that man had a very subjective part of his brain, which is all or nothing, and it's emotional. I don't trust anybody. Well, if he went in therapy and figured out, you know, my dad really hurt me or my fiance that cheated on me really hurt me. You're right. And let's process that and let's make it objective to that person. And then let's realize that we're not going to write off trust for the rest of our lives. And so I think each leader really needs to do a trust audit of their own ability to trust in both directions, because some trust way too much. But after it's failed, you know, um, a lot of people have a toggle switch. It's either on or off. And and they kind of treat, one of the things that drives me crazy is when I hear Christians say, well, all sin is sin. Well, no, it's not. That's not what the Bible says. It says we have all sin. Hmm. But it also, there's, there's misdemeanors and there's felonies. You know, that's clear throughout the scriptures. And Jesus said, yeah, yeah, you tied dill and mint and cumin, but you've you've neglected the weightier measures of the law, like justice and mercy and faithfulness. And so we've also got to ask, what kind of betrayal was this? You know, and we've got to put it into context. We've got to address it. But there are some things that are big, big, big betrayals, and they take a little different kind of attention. But then here's the other thing I'd say about it quickly. You've got to forgive, okay? Because if you're going to, A, if you're never going to trust that person again, 
you don't want to carry that wound into the future by holding on to it. You know, you got to forgive, period. There's a lot of a lot of research in the pastor wants to preach on forgiveness. Get the book and look at the medical research about forgiveness. It's astounding. Cholesterol levels, you know, heart problems, all this stuff. So everybody's got to forgive. But remember, if you've been betrayed, forgiveness is the first step. But that doesn't mean you're going to trust them again. Because forgiveness, again, is about the past. Trust is about the future. So then the second thing you got to do is, if I'm going to be open to rebuilding this, ask the question, who am I dealing with? Because you go address it, and you forgive, and you're open to forgiveness. But forgiveness only takes one person. Reconciliation takes two. You got to find out how much are they owning and taking responsibility for what they did. And really, really not just feeling guilty. Oh, I'm so sorry. I'm such an idiot. I'm so bad. That's all about them. I want to hear, do they have, like like Paul says in Corinthians, there's a sorrow that leads to death of the world. That's what Judas had. But there's a godly sorrow that leads to repentance. And godly sorrow is not based on guilt. It's based on love. Can they see the pain that they caused you in this in this failure or in this betrayal? Can they really go back to understanding and are they for you? And I never want to hurt you like that again. And we begin to, to go through the five and know who am I dealing with? So the first one is, are they really apologizing? <laughs> are they still excusing and blame? Well, I know I did this, but you or, you know, the marketing department or whoever. No, <laughs> I got to see ownership and sorrow and repentance. So now we can be reconciled, which means basically we're back to a good place with each other. I still can't trust you yet to give you more until, again, now we start to work through the five. And what are they doing to show me they understand what I need going forward? And they're showing that with a little bit of an increasing track record. And if people can build their way back into trust, you know, we all know people that, that I just heard one this, this past week at a, at a, a, a pref, professional outreach or professional athlete outreach um, event we did for marriage. And a couple talked about their marriage and how strong it was after horrendous failure. I mean, we know people that have overcome and the future is incredible after the failure, but it always is incredible after the failure, not just because somebody said, well, I forgive you. I'm going to trust you going forward. No, that other person did a lot of work to earn that new trust. And that's what God, that's the great message of the gospel is it yes your past matters so much that i had to die for it i'm not overlooking this we're calling this what it is and what we do is we realize that and something called believe and repent or repent and believe and that thing about repentance that's what we got to see and then we see the beginning steps of building all these things where you're given more. Yeah. And you, you, you know, this way better than me. What, what did Paul, he went off into therapy for 14 years or something. 
<laughs> before <laughs> did he disappear in the desert and God was working on him for quite a while, right? And you see this in everybody's path that that it is still something we have to earn and we can earn it back after failure. That's the message of the gospel. It can be earned back. People can come back, but they don't come back with just blind trust. Yeah, and the thing I the thing I like about your book is um, you weighed into some really complex. It was the subtitle, wasn't it? Wasn't it? The it was the subtitle. Let's 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 say it again. Trust, knowing when to give it, when to withhold it, how to earn it, how to fix it when it gets broken, how to cook a hot dog on a holiday, and it's all listed here. You got it all. But the thing I, the thing I like about it is it, it's. It's about, well, I, I'm not saying this because you wrote a book called Boundary, but it's kind of a boundary crossing conversation because in business, you're basically, you, you have a hard time talking about forgiveness. You have a hard time talking about, you know, character because that's a different compartmentalization. But when it comes to trust and when it comes to church leaders, they're maybe wrestling, these pastors and church leaders, they're wrestling with their own issues, maybe, you know, childhood issues, they're wrestling with yeah. betrayal issues. And so they got to, they're dealing with it personally. Then they're dealing with it professionally. So how much do I trust the new youth pastor? Sorry, youth pastors that I gave you as the example. But how 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 much? So all this sort of comes together. I love the phrase you use: forgiveness is about the past, trust is about the future. But the complexity of trust, which maybe is reflected in a long subtitle, but the complexity of trust for pastors and church leaders, and in the last few years, man, a lot of them have felt this has probably been the most difficult time. They've felt betrayed more now than yeah. ever before. So what are some mistakes that we make around this for church leaders, pastors and church leaders? I guess in general, it's just I just see it so complex, personal, professional, and everything else. What are some common mistakes? I think the biggest mistake, and this is deeply theological and it's deeply um, rooted in the created order of biblical anthropology as well. The biggest mistake is, and we don't do this thinking through it on purpose, the biggest mistake is original sin, which is I can do it alone. You know, we unplug. We unplug from God and then we got alienated from each other. And so people get betrayed and they feel hurt, like you're saying, and especially in, you know, everybody knows what pastors have gone through and COVID and coming out of that, not the way the culture is divided. Here's the pastors that I see thriving. The biggest mistake that they don't make is they, actually that's a dumb sentence, they thrive because they don't make the biggest mistake of disconnecting and going it alone. They are getting into, and I've done a number of these over the last few years, they have a really good community of other pastors that they've joined with <clears throat> and a lot of, you know, a lot of schools, a lot of denominations, a lot of organizations are, you know, they pull them together. So you're going through this together and that's the most important first step that you can make. Sometimes that's your elders. Sometimes it's your outside advisors. Sometimes it's other pastors, but you got to get plugged in for a couple of reasons. You've got to normalize what you've been through you know, we take somebody that's been sexually abused, for example. They're alone, and they've been dealing with this on their own, and they've been trying to. They don't get well until they find a group of other people that have experienced what they've experienced. 
That's because good. the first thing it does is it normalizes it. So then that takes away the uniqueness of the self-blame and the I'm a victim and why does God hate me? And, you know, I'm sure if Job had been part of, you know, a panel of people that God was going to test, <laughs> all of his railing a guy would have sound very different because he was in it alone. Right. So that's the first big mistake. The second big mistake is <clears throat> they they know they got to keep going forward, but in this area of trust, they're not getting objectively wise about it, which is kind of why I wrote the book. A really interesting, um, you know, the book's already been written so many places in the Bible. Psalm 101, it's one of my favorites. David could have entitled that psalm, Who to Trust and Who Not. He goes through an entire list of the kinds of people he will have nothing to do with. The unfaithful will be far away from me. The liars, the ones that slander, Paul says, reject a divisive person after a second warning. How many church teams get divided? And they split churches because you got a divisive person that you've got to get them out of there. He goes, narcissistic people with the raised eyebrow and the judgmentalism, and he, he lists these traits, and then he flips, and he says, it is the blameless, the ones who walk in God's ways, they are the ones I will dwell with, which means that's going to be my team, that's going to be my community, and he says, and they will minister to me. So he gets objective and you got to, when you've been gone through this, you got to look back and say, who was there? Who performed? Who could I depend on? Who came through? And you gotta get, you gotta get pretty objective because whenever we're wounded, we, we it, it, it's a literally a different system of the brain. You know, a lot of times people will try to just memorize verses to make them feel differently Mm -hmm. And that's, you know, you got a limbic system that doesn't really understand language. It understands experience. And I, for example, you know, you see this in the Bible where in every Christian, I've never heard an audience that, you know, when I say, um, so how many of you believe this, that you, you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free and everybody raise their hand. And, wrongly in the evangelical subculture we have we have taken that passage and we have taught people that the way to overcome everything is just memorizing scriptures you know knowing the word believing the word and all this you're gonna you're gonna and that's gonna set you free and but it doesn't touch your pain a lot of times it doesn't resolve the trauma well there's a reason for that i'll ask the audience what does it say right before that I don't think I've ever seen a hand come up. So I'll know that you'll know the truth and the truth shall set you free. What he said was, if you hold to my teachings, if you follow my ways, then you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. And the word know there is that experiential word that involves a process. And so it's living out the processes, everything that he taught. 
And that means weeping with those who weep and giving support for one another and correcting one another and, and healing the brokenhearted. Everything that he said, if you hold to those teachings, you are going to realize the truth and be able to live it out of the, of the propositional truth itself. And those are always deeply connected to the scriptures. And so to come back from this, the leaders that I've seen thriving are in community where all of that is happening and new visions begin to come up and new innovation and all of that. And I see a lot of pastors, believe it or not, thriving in this scenario after the, all the pain they've been through. But a lot of them are dropping out, as you know, the numbers are about 50% or so mm-hmm. that want to leave or are leaving. Yeah. That circle of trust. I mean, that's, that's what I'm hearing for you. That's huge. And, in our last uh, 60 seconds together, um, Dr. Cloud, um, you know, I'm thinking of a pastor who is struggling um, and they're probably listening to us and they're maybe they're on the brink of paranoia. I don't think I can trust anybody. I don't think I can. You've seen it. Uh, yeah, right. It's, it's such a common occurrence now. Um, what would you say to encourage them? Uh, they're struggling to trust. Uh, what is their next practical next step? Get plugged in. You know, first of all, um, one of the, in the scriptures you see God, and I know there's something wrong with this statement, right? The only time you see God being scared. <laughs> mm. When was it? What well, he looked down and says at Babel in the Tower of Babel, he goes, They're all of one mind. They're so unified. They're they're so together. They can do anything they want because they're so unified. That's how powerful unity is. So he said, I'm disrupting this. You go all the way to John 17, when Jesus started out with his, his group, he didn't pray for finances and you know strategy and vision. He prayed for one thing. He prayed for their unity, that they might be one, Father, like we are one. Because it's through that unity you're going to get healed. It's through the unity you're going to learn the next steps. It's through the unity of this body working together in Ephesians 4 that says, as each part does its work, the body heals itself, tied together through its joints and sinews. That's the first step you got to get and choose wisely and get good advisors and some that are not stakeholders. It can't just be your team or your elders. You need somebody who, when they give you advice, it's not going to affect them. They're doing it for you. And that's where I would start. You've been listening to Dr. Henry Cloud. Be sure to check out his book, Trust, Knowing When long, to Give long. It. Give it the whole thing. Knowing when to give it, when to withhold it, how to earn it, and how to fix it when it gets broken. You can learn more about Henry at drcloud.com. Thanks again for I'm gonna listening. Call, I'm going to call Ed the next time I, I need a book title. He'll give me a haircut. Hey, we'd like to, you know, we would like to share the whole title because we think it's a good book. I want people to get book. it. But your title is a challenge, but we're getting there. We're getting there. <laughs> anyway, finish this out. And be sure to leave us uh, inter- uh, uh, reviews uh, uh, at churchleaders.com slash podcast. And if you found our conversation helpful, uh, that will help other listeners uh, learn about us and benefit from our content. Thanks for listening. We'll see you in the next episode. You've been listening to the Stetzer Church Leaders Podcast. For more great interviews, as well as articles, videos, and free resources, visit our website at churchleaders.com. Thanks for listening.